0: Let's look at First Corinthians chapter six and uh, a topic that we just quite frankly need to hear. Um, culturally, uh, where we are historically, we need to hear this message. And um, so let's let's look at it now. First Corinthians chapter six. I'll begin reading in verse twelve. Paul writes, "All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful." All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual morality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord, and will also raise us up by His power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Well, Jesus, uh, we need you. Um, We are broken men and women. We think about sex in a very wrong and unbiblical and harmful way, both to ourselves and to those around us. We lack love and we possess lust. Uh, We exalt ourselves, we feed our flesh, and quite frankly, we the church need you. Holy Spirit, I need you. Uh, As I communicate this truth, oh God, I pray that it would be clear only you know the specific circumstances that we all um, struggle with. And so would you meet us right where we are. Father, I pray that you would use your word this morning by the power of your spirit to heal us. Not to increase shame and guilt. But I pray, O oh God, that you would produce repentance in us. That would bring sorrow and yet great faith in the healing of Jesus Christ, in the power of His gospel, and in the future hope of restoration and glory. O God, would You come and would You pastor and shepherd, uh, prophetically speak to us and change us, O God. Free us. Do something powerful in the next few minutes. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen couple years ago, I had driven across the bridge over to West Memphis, Arkansas, and um, I'm sure most of us in here have made that drive, and you've seen the many truck stops that are there uh, right off the interstate, first thing you come to in West Memphis, and I stopped to get gas at some of the cheapest gas around and most convenient to downtown, and as I was filling up, I noticed... Um, A man and a woman walking by the gas station, and it's a very commercial area. There's no residential area, and uh, there's really nowhere to be walking to. Um, And it just caught my eye, and I kind of watched them, and I, I noticed that they were heading to where the trucks park. And I began to wonder if my suspicions were true, and sure enough, it was a pimp and his prostitute. And she went to a couple of trucks, but it didn't take long. I think the second try, she was in the cab, and he went and sat on the curb and waited. And as I sat there, or stood there, filling my car up with gas, rage came over me. Um, I wanted to stop this. I wanted to do something. And yet sadness and sorrow came over me as well because I thought she is made for so much more. And as I approach and as we come to this topic this morning of sex and, and the purpose of sex and the confines of sex and so forth, that's really how I'm approaching it. As I, as I speak to you, as I pastor you, as I live as a man, sorrow is probably the best word to describe where I live in this conversation Um, because sex is winning (laughs) perversion is winning immorality is winning we are faced with it constantly it's everywhere and so this morning I want you to understand that you need this message because you are being pimped in some way Ah. I can't imagine there's anybody in here that is not being pimped, if you will, by some wrong view of sex. That either the church has given you or the world has given you. Because sex is really king in our day. Um, It's everywhere. It's impossible to think biblically about it unless we really work at it. And that's what I want us to do this morning. Because you see, the lie that's being sold to, our, our, to the church and to the culture today is this. It's that we are an advanced people. That our society has advanced beyond the puritanical, ridiculous teachings of covenant love, sex, purely and solely within marriage. Uh, that intellectual people, I mean anybody that really is educated and has an education cannot possibly think that we can hold to these ancient teachings. But what we see from the Scriptures is that that, the, the, the modern way of looking at sex is not progression, but it's regression. Because the same thing was going on in Corinth that is going on today. The biggest lie that's being sold to us that we believe is that, oh yes, we're really advancing by Adopting views of just coexist. Let people have sex any way they want to with whomever whomever they want to. Just, Just tolerate. Just live and let live. I mean, that's what advancement is. That is ridiculous. Because let's just look at Corinth. If that is true, then Corinth was one of the most advanced cultures in the history of the world. Because in Corinth, there were about three to four different ways that were culturally acceptable for a man at least to have sex. You had marriage. A man had his marriage. And in marriage, uh, you, you marry somebody that, um, that has social capital. Somebody that's respectable. Somebody that you would want to mother your children. Somebody that you want to be your heir. So you have your wife. But also in Corinth, it was common and acceptable for a man to also have a mistress. A girl that is not as... doesn't have the social capital, doesn't have the societal respect that uh, that a woman who could be a wife would be, and, and she's there for fun and for sex as well. But then a man could have his concubine, and that is basically um, a sex slave. Um, and modern day, it's somebody that you could uh, simply have a booty call with. Let's just put it frankly, that's what it was. And then you just had to prostitute. And all four of these were culturally acceptable in the day for a man to get his sex, if you will. Oh man, they were advanced, weren't they? <laughs> they even mixed religion with it. I mean, God, surely God wouldn't want you to, you know, to, to be deprived of anything. And so they had temple prostitutes. I mean, is it any different what's going on today? No, we are not progressing, we are regressing. And yet, if there's any point at which we have an opportunity, as we saw last week, to be the church of Christ and to be light in the world, it's in this area of sex. Diognetus in the first or second century noticed in the church that, uh, I think this was the quote, um, the Christians shared their dinner table but not their wives. I mean, he marveled at that. He said, these Christians are different people. And it was primarily different because of the way that they handled sex. And they confined it to marriage. Oh, that the world would see that today. Oh, that that would be our reputation today. That we are gracious and merciful and inviting to our dinner table, but we don't share our wives and we don't share ourselves. Well, the way that we're going to have biblical practice in the area of sex is to have biblical thinking. And so the question that came up to me that I hear all the time is a question that I want to answer, that I believe 1 Corinthians 6, 12-20 answers, and it's this question. Why can't a man and a woman who are in a committed relationship and who love each other have sex? What's wrong with that? And I would contend that very few people in the church today could answer that question. Listen to this statistic, uh, and it was actually asked in, in a, uh, a question. Um, you know, like, "Can you believe 76% of young American adults below 32 years of age consider living together before marriage as acceptable, and 65% of singles who intend to marry, including professing Christians, now live together before marriage?" So. We're not answering the question Um, biblically. We are answering the question, (laughs) and our answer is, it's okay. Um, So could you this morning give um, an informed biblical answer other than God says no uh, to why can't two committed people in, in love in a committed relationship have sex? Um, I doubt many of us could, and so let 's go to it. The first thing I want us to see that I think this the, this passage tells us is that we have is that God made us for covenant, not committed relationships. God made us for covenant relationships, not just committed relationships um, you can 't find committed relationships in the scriptures, but you can find covenant relationships in the scriptures. Uh, lately, Rachel and I have spent some time with um, a number of our friends who have been married twenty plus years. And I was thinking about this last night as we were actually at a wedding and, and saw many of them renewing old friendships, seeing people we hadn't seen in, in a long time. And and it, probably because I was preaching on this topic, but uh, but I just kind of looked around the room and I and I I notified or I just kind of isolated those people in my mind that I know have been married a long time. And as I looked at each of those couples, I could probably tell you and give you a commentary on some very unhealthy dynamics in their relationships. I didn't see one that I could point to and say their marriage is perfect. But what I did do as I looked around is I looked at those marriages and I said, they're not perfect, but there's something so attractive. There's something that that draws me to that. There's something right about it. And dear friends, as I look at my own marriage, almost 31 years into it, I can promise you, and I believe you could probably dissect my marriage too, and the closer you are to me, probably the better, and and point to some real dysfunction. But here's the reality. I think you would have to say, but there's something right about that. There's something good about that. And I think what it, what it makes me see is I look at relationships and I know um, I, we have friends that, that have survived, whose marriages have survived um, unfaithfulness. Uh, we, we, we have friends whose marriages have survived uh, pornography addictions. We, we have friends that have survived all kinds of stuff. And Rachel and I have survived a lot of stuff. And I think that's kind of the point. is that there's something right about that. It's not two perfect people coming together. That would be too easy. But it's two imperfect people coming together struggling to be better day in and day out. And going through seasons where you're not struggling so much, you're just kind of surviving. And yet at the end of the game, there's something right about it. One thing we can say about the whole same-sex marriage debate is this. Isn't it interesting that the gay and lesbian community want to be married. I marvel at people, and I'm called all the time by people outside of the church saying, "Um, we're looking for a minister to marry us. They're not saying we're looking for a church. They're not saying we're looking for Jesus. They just want a minister to come and to bless their union. And I want to say, why? And I believe it's because of this. The Scriptures tell us that God has created us with an unavoidable need to exist in covenant relationship. Our deepest longing is for someone beautiful, someone noble to look at us and say, I see you, I know you, and I accept you. And sex goes a step further. It's one thing for me to look out to you this morning and say, I see you, I know you, I accept you. And it's another thing to say that to my wife in a bedroom alone, unclothed. The most vulnerable place we can be as human beings is unclothed, saying, I'm giving myself to you, I'm literally coming into you and you into me. And we're going to know each other in a way that we can't know each other without this act. It's the most vulnerable thing, and yet it's the thing that we long for because we so want to believe that someone could look at us, know everything about us, and still say, I love you and I'm not going anywhere. It's what we all want. I think it's because of this that we can see that sex is God's gift to this deep internal need. It's the most vulnerable way for two people in a covenant relationship to experience physically, emotionally, and spiritually the reality of their covenant that says, I see you, know you, and still love you. I think that's why being single is so difficult. Because we long and we ache for this union. And yet this is what Paul says, the body is not meant for sexual immorality. In other words, you can't just go find it some other way. You can try, you can convince yourself, your culture, you can redefine, you can do whatever you want to do, but at the end of the day, your body is not meant for sexual immorality. You're going to mess yourself up. But then he says in verse 13, It's not meant for sexual morality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Notice, this is fascinating. The body is not meant for sexual morality, but notice he doesn't say, but it is meant for a spouse. This is strange. The body is not meant for sexual morality, but he also says the body is not meant for your spouse, but for the Lord. That is crazy. So what he's doing here is he's really taking the church, the church's view so oftentimes it that seeks to deify marriage as the end game, and he says that's not even right. But here's what is right. Two people coming together in covenant relationships saying, I will never leave nor forsake you, then taking their clothes off with one another, coming into, one each, other, into each other, giving themselves everything they are to the other person. Over the long haul, and what does that do? It it gets us into what we were made for, namely covenant love, which really and ultimately can only come from God. So there is a, a, a real straight line between sex inside of marriage and you understanding God's covenant love for you i mean what god is saying is you want to understand my covenant love then get then stand before another person and say i will never for better for worse for sickness for for whatever until death do us part and then for the next 30 40 50 60 70 years you give yourself to this other person sexually and then you're going to understand what my love is like and what glory is like isn't that beautiful What he's telling us here is sex is to be an expression and experience of our love and union for Christ, ultimately. And this tells us so much. It tells us that sex is not just pleasurable. Now hear me, sex is pleasurable, and that's kind of the point in our culture. It's pleasurable whether you're married or not. And that's why it's so tempting. (laughs) I mean, the, the, the fascinating thing to me about it is even in, in rape and abuse cases, many of those that have been raped, many of those that have been sexually abused will, will struggle with shame and guilt. Why? Because they got some pleasure out of it. Some of them, not all of them. Why is that? Because God created it to be pleasurable. But not only to be pleasurable. And so it's not just pleasurable, but also um, this whole idea that the body is meant for the Lord and therefore sex is meant for the Lord. It tells us that sex is not merely for commitment. And here's where we get a little deeper into this. To give yourself to another sexually in a committed relationship, but not a covenant relationship, is to live with the insecurity of impermanence. Committed relationship is something that we just kind of made up. To try to make sex outside of marriage sound good. Because here's the deal. A, a committed relationship is nothing more than you taking the, the agreement, okay, I'm committed to you until. Until the worse. I'm committed to you for the better, but not the worse. I'm committed to you as long as you've got a good paying job and you've got a nice car and you can pick me up, but you lose that, I'm gone. I'm committed to you until... And that's the we were not created for that kind of impermanence. And so we live in this insecurity. Am I good enough? Am I good enough? Am I good enough? And you try to prove it in bed. And the highest form of betrayal is at the end of this committed relationship when the commitment ends. And you're just thrown to the side and you're looking at yourself. You don't even know who you are anymore. Why? Because you weren't made for that. You weren't designed for that. And you can't get around it. It doesn't matter what you do, you can't get around it. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And then secondly, sexual sin is sin against your own body. Why can't two committed people in love just have sex? Because it is sin against your own body unless it's in the confines of marriage. Malcolm Muggeridge said this. He said, people do not believe lies because they, want, because they have to, but because they want to. It's profound. <laughs> people don't believe lies because they have to, but because they want to. You know why it's so easy for our culture to sell this whole thing that we're, 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 we've progressed beyond the ridiculous teaching that sex should be limited to the confines of marriage? Because we want to believe that. I mean, how much easier would life be if that were true? And yet, how miserable would that be? And that's what we're finding out. Paul asked the question, don't you know? And he kind of throws it back at the culture. Don't you know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. In other words, there's no no thing such as casual sex. When you have sex with someone else, there is a union, and a union takes place. Why? Because covenant faithfulness comes to life not in unfaithful relationships, but in marital sex. If you're taking notes, write that down. Covenant faithfulness, this whole idea of faithfulness, comes to life in marital sex. You see, just as God comes to us and says, I will never leave nor forsake you, we can't fully get that unless we are in this relationship with another person who's literally living that out to us and displaying it. And now you see, it's not perfect relationship. It's relationship that's working hard to get better, but stays to get better. It is sex within the confines of, of working it out, because that's God's commitment to you. I will never leave you, nor forsake you. And this is what it looks like, and this is what it feels like. I see you, all of you, and I've still come into you. Therefore... God has formed us for faithfulness. And so when we give ourselves in relationships, sexual relationships of unfaithfulness, it begins to twist something in us. You see, you have to do something internally to be in serial sexual relationships. You have to convince yourself. You have to preach a message to yourself. Okay, this has nothing to do with love. This... You know, um, it's okay that this person's gone in the morning. It's okay that I feel like garbage. It's okay that I don't even respect myself anymore. It's okay. This is progression. This is what the culture's telling me. You've got to preach that to yourself. When the reality is you are degrading yourself. When the reality is you're doing deep damage to your soul because you were made for faithfulness, but you've given yourself and you're practicing unfaithfulness. And so guess what? Something is twisting inside of you. And it becomes harder and harder to give yourself away. I think a huge lie that we tell ourselves today is, I will settle down one day and I'll get married, but I'm going to have some fun before I do. What you're doing between now and marriage, you will carry into your marriage. Okay, I'm just going to mess around with porn for 12 or 13 years. That's not going to hurt anybody, right? Take a porn addiction into your marriage and tell me it's not impacting it. It, I mean, could the lie be any more obvious? Casual sex, serial sex has the opposite intended effect on one's soul and thus is destructive. Living together. Now, the statistics are pretty irrefutable. Those who live together rarely get married. They break up. And the counter-argument to that is, well, then they wouldn't have had a good marriage. Well, those who live together and then get married divorce more than those who don't live together and get married. So that kind of blows that whole philosophy out of the water. Those who are addicted to pornography prior to marriage find it harder to be intimate with their spouse because there's really no way that a spouse or any woman can live up to the sexual fantasy that you've indulged yourself in for years upon years and fashioned your heart and soul around as your expectation. No real woman could ever live up to that, nor should she (laughs) even try. I read this quote a few weeks ago. Mary Everstadt, who wrote Adam and Eve after the pill, said, In this post-revolutionary world, sex is easier had than ever before. But the opposite appears true for romance. This is perhaps the central enigma that modern men and women are up against. Romantic want in a time of sexual plenty. You getting it? We want romance. we got all the sex we can possibly... Have. we want romance but it's not there to be found perhaps some of the modern misery of which so many women today authentically speak is springing not from a sexual desert but from a sexual flood a torrent a poisonous imagery beginning now for many in childhood that has engulfed women and men only to beach them eventually somewhere alone and apart far from the reach of one another Norman Dodge, in his—he's um, a neuro—a uh, doctor specializing in neuropsychiatry—said this in his book *The Brain That Changes Itself: Stories of Personal Triumph from the Frontiers of Brain Science*. He said this: "Pornographers, those who are producing pornography for your benefit, my benefit, whatever, pornographers promise healthy pleasure and relief from sexual tension. It's healthy." Um, But what they often deliver is an addiction, tolerance, and an eventual decrease in pleasure. Paradoxically, the male patients I work with often crave pornography but didn't like it. I mean, is that not the worst possible place to be? And that's addiction. You've, you've so become attached to this idea and, and um, not just physically but emotionally and spiritually attached to this idea that this is life but then you have it and you're more miserable after you've had it than before you had it. The expectation to get it is better than when you get it. And that's what he's referring to here. I, I could go on and on. Um, you know, this whole idea that sex is liberating women ask a single mom how liberated she feels how liberated she feels by the guy that was willing to commit an hour and to leave her with a baby oh that's liberation that's liberation and then finally how do we answer this question um, You know, why can't we just have sex Sex only makes sense in covenant relationship with God. Sex only makes sense as a Christian. So, Christian sex, man, what is going on? Something just uh, changed. Or is that in my. Wow. I said sex and it kind of echoed. I thought, this is weird. Um, All right. Sex only makes sense in covenant relationship with God. I think that the church, in its attempt to exalt marriage, has has sold a lie. Uh, We've sold a lie that there's a perfect one out there, and God has Him out there. Oh, just keep hoping. Keep praying. And He's going to bring the perfect one. The only perfect... And this is not drama. This is reality. The only perfect one is Jesus. He's the only one that's going to satisfy your soul. The one that God brings you to, that you find that you have much in common to, and you're willing to say, you are the one for me for life. God had much to do with that and everything to do with that, but He is not telling you this is the one. He's telling you this is the one that that you have found by my my mercy and my goodness and, and I will bless your marriage. But what they are is someone to show you more and more who the one really is and His name is Jesus. Do you hear me? Do you understand that Christianity is the only religion on the planet that legitimizes being single? In fact, in the book the Book of Corinthians, and I wish I had more time, I could preach a whole sermon. And maybe I needed not end the series. You singles, tell me later if you really want this. But um, Paul goes into that. He says, in fact, he says it's a heck of a lot easier if you don't get married. Um, In fact, I'm telling you, stay as I am. Stay single. That's what Paul says. I mean, no other religion says it. Every other religion says to be valuable, to to be somebody in society, you've got to be married. So even if it's a bad marriage, go find one because you're nobody single. Christianity says no. You are somebody because two things. You're made in the image of God and you're redeemed and loved by God through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And you don't need a spouse to make you any more worthy. But for those that do get married, come into marriage knowing that it is a struggle, but that the sexual union between the two of you is there to to make intimacy with God relevant in the marriage bed. (laughs) To make the reality that God says, I will come in you with my spirit. He says, that's what it feels like. I want you to feel that accepted. That's what God is saying. I want you to feel, I mean, with everything you possibly have, I want you to feel loved and accepted by me. And that's available with or without a spouse, friends. Listen to what Paul says. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? He didn't say go find a wife so that you can... He says, do you know right now? Single, married, whatever. Your bodies are members of Christ, union with Christ. He who is joined, you hear it, joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with Him. I mean, that's marriage, right? No, that's relationship with God. That marriage foreshadows and gives us a physical, tangible uh, experience of. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? He's literally come inside of you. That's sex. Crazy. You are not your own. That's marriage. No, that's relationship with God, that marriage gives you a practical um, illustration of, day in and day out. You're not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. God is the covenant relationship that you were made for. And so the question is, is that the relationship that you're giving yourself to this morning? If not... Dear friends, sex, money, power, beauty, trying to be sexual. I mean, women, you don't have to dress sexually. You don't have to present yourself as a sex object to have identity in the the church at least. Maybe in society, but not in the church. Because you are beautiful in the sight of God. He has has pursued you from all eternity. He has chosen you to be his, His bride. He has chosen you. And He's made you beautiful in Christ. And there's nothing you can do to make yourself more beautiful. So quit trying to make yourself sexual so that some dude will give you 30 minutes of attention. It's not worth it. You're pimping yourself. Guys... Quit going to the gym and trying to look good and dress in such a way and thinking that, oh, I just want a woman to look at me. I just want a woman to want me. Oh, you're made for so much more. The God of heaven and earth looks down upon you and says, My son, I adopt you. I'll never leave nor forsake you. Paul says, flee. 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 Flee sexual morality, children of God, but flee to Christ. He's waiting. Do you want Him this morning? Commit your heart to Him. I'm convinced that there are people in this room that have sexual addiction, that are absolutely addicted to sex. It's all you think about. It's, it's your only hope. And yet, you could very well be a Christian. I'm telling you, there's hope, there's hope for you. I've seen it over and over again. Um, everybody in here needs to put their heart up next to this sermon and say, am I, am I using sex? Am I, do I have sex biblically right in terms of my heart and my mind? And you need to repent and make corrections. You need to keep repenting and keep making corrections. We're going to have our elders and our community group leaders over here, as we always do, um, if you want prayer, go pray. If you this morning say, I can't do it alone anymore. If you've been giving yourself to men or you've been giving yourself, whoring yourself to women. If you are have a sexual addiction, I would love for you to share that with one of them and we will help you. Because church, we have to attack this. And Jesus is the power to attack it. And doing it in community is the only way to do it. We need each other. So would you come to Christ this morning? And you, would you receive His love? And would you give yourself to Him? And if you're struggling to that degree that you know you need your community, come up and ask somebody to help you. Would well, Jesus, we thank You for the Gospel. We thank You for its power. Would You come to us? Would You work in us by Your Spirit? Would You do mighty things in this place this morning? Uh, Would Jesus heal us sexually? I pray for those that have been sexually abused. I pray for those that have been uh, married and divorced, cast to the side, or they've cast someone to the side and they feel regret. Father, I pray um, for the one who is struggling alone, uh, that you would bring hope and healing to them this morning. I pray for our singles, oh God, that so long for this union, a physical union on this planet, that will give them um, that relationship of experiencing glory, but I also pray that you would help them see that that they don 't need a, a spouse to complete them or to make them any more valuable. Father, give them peace and rest in you, Father, be with us in our marriages. Uh, Father, help us to know that that you know our marriages are not going to be perfect that we 're going to struggle and we 're going to struggle for the long haul but Uh, You're there waiting for us to come and to say, You're the one, Lord Jesus, You're the one. Uh, So complete us all this morning in Your love. Uh, Bring, Holy Spirit, would You just pour out Your mercy upon us. Come in us and bring us the joy and the freedom of the gospel of forgiveness and acceptance and love. Oh God, would You bathe us this morning. We need it. We just lift these things in Jesus' name. Amen.